Y'all can do better than that. Good morning. Y'all act like it's the 8.30 service. It's 10.30 service. Y'all woke up, you had coffee, you had time to get breakfast, do some yoga. We in here. Good morning. All right. It's good to see y'all. My name is Marcellus Casey. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and it's my joy um, to come out to Journey Church International. Um, my wife, Stephanie, and I, we have four children, and we live um, down in the inner city. So the majority of my ministry work is with the Kansas City Chiefs and also um, with a boxing gym that I have in the inner city and, and work that I do with the Hope Center and um, a bunch of other stuff. So um, it's always a joy not only to come out here to Journey Church to preach, but also um, for our family to come out here and worship every now and then. Um, it's a joy. Like even on Christmas Eve, we came out here just to like hide out and kind of worship Jesus and just kind of have a place of, of ministry respite, if you will. And so we really appreciate the work that God is doing in this church. And um, I appreciate my friendship um, with your pastor, uh, Pastor Christian Newsom. Some question my friendship with Christian because of the text I'm preaching today, okay? So here's what your pastor did to me. <clears throat> he left town. He's gone, okay? So he's not here today. And he asked me to preach Matthew 19, which is about eunuchs. Okay? That's what our text is about today. It's an interesting text to wrestle with, um, so I've been praying that God would help me, uh, but I'm really excited about what God can speak to us through this awkward text. Um, as Pastor Christian and I talked about this text and what it means to the series that you all are in as a church, we talked about this text in regards to singleness, what it means for a person to be single. And not only for singles, but also for married people. What does it look like for you to live with a singular focus in your life, to devote your life wholeheartedly to God, to give him yourself, to surrender, to give up everything that you are? This text for me as a black man is, is a wrestle. Like I, this, when it points to eunuchs in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in, in this Reference many times a eunuch is a person that is being exploited or enslaved. Their life, their body is taken over by somebody else who now has power over them. As the black man, as a black man with a history in our country of Africans being brought here and enslaved for hundreds of years, I find it hard to preach about slavery and exploitation, people with power taking advantage of people that don't have power. But I do believe that God has a word, not only for me, but for all of us in this text today. That even through a traumatic and grotesque illustration that Jesus pointedly and, and decidedly um, uses, that God can really speak to our hearts and help us grow in our love for Jesus and grow in our love for God. So this is our text today, Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12. If you've been here the past few weeks, you've been wrestling with, with Matthew 19. And remember, too, that as we, as we go through this text, and it's kind of heavy and it's kind of weighty, it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a grotesque way um, to relate to people. But remember 
that this whole conversation started with some people that were trying to undermine Jesus's authority. They were trying to make a fool of him. They were trying to make a mockery of his teaching. They were trying to twist his words and kind of catch him in his words and make him look like a fool. So there's many times when Jesus would use stronger illustrations. He would use more dramatic forms of language when he was relating to people that were against him and against his ways and against goodness and kindness in the world. So in Matthew 19, Jesus was wrestling with these leaders who were questioning marriage and divorce. And these leaders that were against Jesus were basically kind of saying, well, like, well, can we get a divorce for this reason or that reason? And he reminded them of Moses giving an allowance for divorce when a husband is hard hearted or, or when a marriage is in a hard hearted situation. So Jesus is reminding them, yes, you can get a divorce, but if you're approaching marriage in this way where you're just looking for an out or you're just looking for the easiest way possible, you're looking at marriage and you're looking at God in the wrong way. Now, Jesus' disciples, they had the opportunity to listen to Jesus teach every day and they would kind of have these aha moments. So this is, this is Jesus' disciples speaking at first because they're like, oh God, I think I got it. Is this what you're saying? So his disciples said to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 10, they said, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. So they were like, the disciples are kind of like, okay, I get it. Like if they're just playing around with marriage and kind of playing around with divorce and just like they don't really care about what God's design is for their life and for their marriage or for their life, man, maybe it's just better that they don't get married. The disciples, it kind of clicked for them in that moment. And then Jesus responded to them and he says, not everybody can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, the one who is able to accept this should accept it. This message is more about your kingdom status than it is your marital status. This message is about wholehearted devotion to Jesus in the things of his kingdom. I don't want to get into a situation where I diminish marriage and glorify singleness. I also don't want to get into a position where I'm glorifying singleness and diminishing marriage. And we do that a lot of times in the church. A lot of times, like, we prioritize marriage. We deify marriage. We deify the nuclear family. It's like, man, if we look like Leave It to Beaver, Wally Cleaver, dad's home, mom's got the apron on, she's cooking, kids come home from school, we got this nice little happy family, like, that's when you're a mature Christian. That's kind of how we treat marriage in the church sometimes. Like, almost like once you've arrived and, you know, you got an SUV, you got your coffee, I'm going to drop my kids off in the back at the kids. I'm married. I have children. I'm mature. That's not how God sees marriage. You haven't arrived because you are married. Marriage comes with a lot of responsibility, but it's not your purpose. 
Sometimes singles can feel on the outside of a church or on the outside of a community because they feel like they haven't arrived or a church's programs or or ideas are mostly built around having a nuclear family. But as a community of God, we have to make room for everybody. We have to make room for singles. We have to make room for married couples. Listen to this. For singles, it is much more important for you to find your passion and your purpose in Christ than it is for you to find your partner. Many times the way that we act in Christendom and in our culture is you're not complete until you have that special someone. You are not complete until you're married. And so as Christians sometimes, or as older Christians, you know, I worked with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I disciple young people. I've had interns and staff over the years, over 18 years of ministry. And sometimes I would even fall in that trap of like trying to be Cupid. You know, it's like, oh, well, what about her? What about him? Or maybe you guys should get together and like, and then you can get married and like, why aren't you married yet? And we make it awkward for singles. And it's like, not everybody wants to get married right away. And Jesus kind of hits that in this, in this passage. Sometimes when a person's going through painfulness in singleness, we'll even downplay marriage. It's like, oh, well, if you knew how tough marriage was, you'd never want to be married. You know, this is, this is tough stuff here. I mean, this is, this is really hard. Although marriage is hard and carries a lot of responsibility, it is still a beautiful gift that God has given us. And singleness is a beautiful gift that God has given us. For married folks, it's very important that you hear today that you need to have a passion and a purpose in Christ that is bigger than your relationship with your spouse. We would have a lot healthier marriages if we had healthier singles. If we lived our lives in a singular focus on Jesus and his kingdom, then our marriage wouldn't be about what our spouse gives to us, whether we're objectifying their bodies even in our marriage when we have certain demands, when we have certain situations where that spouse becomes like God to us, the comfort of our marriage or the comfort of our singleness becomes God to us. And that's not how God has designed us. Just to relieve a little bit of the angst of a sermon that is built towards singleness, I wanna mention a few things. In in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul also Um, speaks about singleness. And sometimes we can look at singleness as if it is a holier calling, this this kind of like um, abstinence and like, I'm never going to get married and I'm like wholly devoted to God, which is a beautiful thing. But I want to read to you what Paul says. He says, I wish that all people were as I am. Paul was single. Jesus was single. They had probably arguably two of the most fruitful, productive, powerful lives on this earth, and they never were married. He says, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. Paul says, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am, single. Christopher Yuan who Pastor Christian has referenced from his book, um, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Christopher Yuan has some helpful things for us as we look at this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Number one, the gift of singleness is, is not a calling or an occupation. 
It's not, it's not what you do forever. Okay, um, the, the next point that Christopher Yuan makes is that this gift of singleness is not necessarily lifelong. God might be calling you for a season to be single. You can know that if you're single. And then he says that the gift is not a special capacity for enjoying singleness. You might be single and hate it. The gift is also not continence, meaning that you still have physical desires. You still have longings um, physically. It doesn't mean that if God has given you the gift of singleness for a season, that you don't still have um, physical desires that can even lead to temptation. And then he also notes that this gift is not a special spiritual gift. It's not like prophecy or preaching or evangelism or faith or leadership or administration. This is not a spiritual gift. It is, it is a specific gift for a specific season or for a lifetime if that's what God chooses. It's obvious from Scripture that marriage is a gift and singleness is also a gift, but they are not the gift. They are not the ultimate gift that God has for your life. The ultimate gift that God has for your life is himself. And I would argue that the more that you focus your life on serving God and loving God, the, the more powerful and fruitful your life will be. So Jesus chooses to use this, this powerful imagery of a eunuch to describe a person that has a healthy perspective on what it means to follow God and to love God. He's not necessarily putting a focus on your marital status, whether you're married or single, but he's trying to get people to focus on a wholehearted devotion on himself. He who is worthy of all of our devotion. A eunuch is a person who either was born with their body as a eunuch, Jesus says, or their bodies, their genitalia were mutilated to make them a eunuch. This is powerful, it's grotesque, it's hard to swallow, it's hard to talk about, but that's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 19. The history of, of eunuchs is, is clear in the Old Testament, in the, in the New Testament, and in history in general. A eunuch was normally a slave or a servant, and the master desiring to make this slave or this servant more docile, more compliant, would alter their genitalia, whether they were male or female. And doing this would cause extreme shifts in a person's hormones, in their attitude, in their feelings, in their personhood. This is a traumatic event in a person's life where somebody else has taken their life and their body in their own hands and made them different so that they could serve this powerful person. If you think about serv servitude and slavery, you think about Joseph from the book of Genesis. He was not a eunuch, but his brothers took his body and his life and they sold Joseph into slavery. When Joseph was a slave, he was elevated to some powerful positions. A lot of times when a master would make a person a eunuch, they did it because they were about to invite this slave or this servant into a powerful and intimate position. 
Look at the life of Joseph. Joseph was given leadership of Potiphar's house, his whole house, his whole estate, all of his money, all of his properties, all of his slaves, all of his servants. And he takes this, this wise man of God, Joseph, and he elevates Joseph in his household as the lead servant, the lead slave. Joseph has so much power that Potiphar's wife desires Joseph physically, okay? That, this is the reason why a lot of eunuchs were eunuchs because a, a lot of times they were brought into an intimate position with a powerful person to serve and that powerful person wanted to know that this servant and this slave was gonna be a trustworthy person in these intimate settings. So they would alter their phys physical body to make sure that they were gonna be trustworthy in these situations. Potiphar's wife, when Joseph was serving, she wanted to sleep with Joseph. She cleared out the house. Everybody leave. It's me and Joseph. She grabs him. Joseph was not physically a eunuch, but spiritually. Body and his character and his actions. He was loyal. He had integrity. He had character. He did not sleep with Potiphar's wife. Now, being a eunuch might have helped him in this situation. Because Potiphar's wife, after Joseph denied her advances, Potiphar's wife said, well, you know, he, he raped me. Potiphar believed his wife. Joseph, the man of God, the man of integrity, gets thrown into jail. Even though he had character, even though he had integrity, he suffered a loss because of the people that were in power over him. What Jesus has challenged us to do in Matthew 19 is actually to choose to be a eunuch, to choose to be like Joseph. He's not challenged us necessarily to go to a doctor and alter our, our, our bodies, but what he's challenging us to do is to alter our character, alter our actions, alter our hearts and align our minds and our souls and everything about ourselves with the will of God. God, I give you my life. I give you my relationships. I give you my sexuality. I submit to your truth. I believe in you. So when we think about what it means to surrender to singleness, I'm not just talking to singles. I'm also talking to married folks who need to surrender their lives to a singular focus on God. And that'll change your marriage. There, there's a few things I want to talk about. Number one, I want to talk about choosing to be single and, and, and how that helps us not rush into intimacy. I want to talk about how that also, uh, th that radical intimacy with God and devotion to the things of God are what being a spiritual eunuch are all about. Then I want to talk about what it means to be motivated by love and surrender. And then I'll talk about what it means to suffer. When we think about not rushing into intimacy, I think about Jeremiah 17, where God was trying to teach his people what it meant to worship him even as they were in captivity. God's people were taken away to Babylon. They lost their privilege of being in the promised land. They were carried away, but God was saying, hey, I still have a promise for you. I still desire to be close to you. 
So even sometimes as a single or as a married person, you might feel like you are not home. You don't feel at home in your marriage. You don't feel at home as a single. You don't feel at home in society or culture because of your marital status. So in Jeremiah 17, it says this. It says, cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. So instead of turning to God, it's like I'm turning to people and they're going to give my boss is going to give me approval. My marriage is going to give me approval. My spouse is going to give me approval. My future husband, my future wife will give me approval. A relationship will make me whole. Now, listen how he describes this kind of person in verse six. He says he will be like a juniper in the Arabah. That's a small, tiny little bush, little bush. Says he cannot see when good comes, but he dwells in the parched places of the wilderness, in a salt land where no one lives. Jeremiah is using this imagery as God was giving him this word of a person who trusts in people more than they trust in God. And he says, you're going to be like a little short bush in a desert wasteland, in a salty place where no one lives. So as you're choosing to surrender to singleness or, or, or singular focus to God, there's three things I want you to pay attention to. Number one, resist emotional indulgence, giving your heart away. As a single, be careful of that. As a married person, be careful of that. Give your heart to God first. Resist physical indulgence. Our bodies are not our own. They were, they were bought with a price. As a single person, it's not about swiping on Tinder. It's not about sliding in people's DMs. It's not about what people, how many people like that picture where you showed off your body. It's not about engaging in physical relationships to gain gratification. The same thing in our marriages. When you're at the gym and somebody walks by, where do your eyes go? Are you physically indulging in something that God doesn't have for you? The third thing that I would encourage you to resist is resist isolation. We have to make room for single folks in our church. You can't just let single folks exist off to the side and married folks are over here. But watch the kids Friday night so your wife can go hang out with that single person. Adjust the soccer schedule. Adjust the schedule so that you can invite people into your lives so that they don't have to feel like, well, relationally, I'll get involved in the church or I'll really be able to get in the mix once I'm married. But make room so that folks don't have to live in isolation. It says that this little bush is in the wilderness by itself. No water in a salty place. But as we choose to have a singular focus on God, we have to have radical intimacy with God and devotion to the things of God. That's what a eunuch was. A lot of times they were invited into a very intimate setting where they were going to serve in an intimate way, given a lot of power, given a lot of responsibility. In Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, in contrast to that little bush that was described, it says this, it says, the person who trusts in the Lord, 
whose confidence is the Lord is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Your effectiveness as a child of God doesn't come because you got married. Your fruitfulness doesn't come because of your relationships in the here and now. Your fruitfulness comes because you are plugged into the God of the universe. Listen to how it describes this tree. It says it sends out its roots toward the stream. Think about the bush, the little bush. It's in a desert, salty place in the wilderness all by itself. This tree is near the stream. It says it doesn't fear when heat comes. Heat is going to come in all of our lives. Struggles are going to come in all of our lives, whether you're single or married. But it says it doesn't fear when the heat comes. And when the heat comes, its foliage remains green. It says even in the year of drought, it doesn't stop producing fruit. So my encouragement to you will to be, is to be like this tree. Plug into God. Plug into community. Plug into God's identity for you. That's life. That's what this sermon is all about. It's more about you finding your purpose in who God has made you to be. Some of y'all are in a marriage and you don't know who you are. Some of y'all are single and you don't know who you are. Who did God make me to be? What did he put me on this earth for? What am I supposed to be doing here? That's the whole point of this sermon. This includes God's calling for your life and your passions. So before Super Bowl 57 in Arizona, we had chapel the night before the game. We always do, we always do uh, chapel the night before the game um, in, the, in the team hotel. And one of the things that I talked to our players and our coaches about the night before we played the Super Bowl was about how God calls us in to co-labor with him. God allows us to partner with him in what he's doing. He called prophets to co-labor with him, like God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. So God didn't need prophets. He doesn't need me as a preacher right now. Like angels literally worship God 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. There are beings with like six wings and eyeballs all over their body that all day for all of eternity scream out at God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. God doesn't need this worship team, but he allows us to be a part of what he's doing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the night before the Super Bowl, that's what we talked about. And I'm thinking like, man, how do I talk about this? And the Lord, actually, my wife and I, we were riding the bus over to the, um, over to the Chiefs Hotel the night before the Super Bowl, and the Lord was like, Lion King. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Love me some Lion King. Lion King is beautiful because it's about purpose. You got this little boy lion, Simba, and his daddy, Mufasa. Mufasa takes his son and he shows him the kingdom. 
He says, look at all this. All this is yours. He says, everything that the light touches is yours. Simba sang a song. I just can't wait to be king. You know, he's like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to be a king. It's going to be amazing. But his father also gave him boundaries. He said, you see the shadows over there? Don't go over there. Then what happens to Simba? He witnesses his father die. Cornell talked about this morning. Simba has a wound now. Disney did a great job because they named his uncle Scar. What did Scar do? He came to Simba and he lied to him. He told Simba, he said, run. This young king who was made to be a king is now running away from his kingdom. All of us, when we're running away, we find people that make it easy for us to not be the royal people that God made us to be. He ran into Timon and Pumbaa. What did Timon and Pumbaa teach him to do? Hakuna Matata. It's our wonderful phrase. It's our problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. This is a king. This is a lion. He's got teeth to tear animal flesh. He has predator instincts. He's a hunter, but they got him eating grubs and insects. He's not hunting anymore. He's hanging out in Hakuna Matata land, relaxed, but not being a king. Comfortable, but not being a king. Safe, but not being a king. Until his lady shows up, Nala. Beautiful Nala. Nala comes and she reminds him of who he is. But not only that, but they fall in love in this Hakuna Matata land, relaxed, they got grubs, they got things they can eat. But ladies, listen to this, single ladies, listen to this. Nala did not stay there with him. She reminded him, hey, there's people back in the kingdom that are dying. There's people struggling. You're supposed to be our king, but your pops is dead and your uncle Scar has now taken over this kingdom. This community, this city, this world would be different if God's people would realize that we are king's kids and his kingdom is supposed to come on earth as it is in heaven. Nala did not stay there with Simba. He had his video games and his friends and his relaxation, but just because they fell in love, can you feel the love? Come on, Lion King. And Simba had to wrestle with in his singleness, who am I? Then Rafiki shows up. Correction, I know your father. <laughs> he points him back to his father. His father speaks from heaven and says, Simba, remember who you are. Jesus, when he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, God the Father spoke from heaven to his son and said, this is my son whom I love. The father spoke to his son, Jesus, and said to everybody listening, that's my boy whom I love. 
With him, I am well pleased. When you are in Christ, that same statement is true for you. You are God's child. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care what wounds have happened to you in your childhood. I do care about that. But God's love and his redemption is bigger than that. Who you are is deeper than that because who you are, listen to this, was planted in eternity before you were born, before you were traumatized, before your soul, mind, body were traumatized, mutilated, hurt, bruised, broken. Mufasa said to Simba from heaven, remember who you are. Simba goes back and claims his kingdom, claims his leadership, claims where he is supposed to be. That's what this message is about, is that God redeems us. God heals us. And on the way to healing us, reminds us who we are and draws us into his purposes for our lives. That's redemption. We're motivated by love and we surrender our lives to God. Matthew 13, 44 says that the kingdom is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and then he reburied it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys the field. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what our relationship with God is like. It's not... Man, I have found a spouse. It's like, no, I have found a treasure. I found God. Um, I've, heard, I've heard a preacher preach uh, on Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And he mentioned that the word find is actually better translated to stumbled upon. And many times, like, we're like trying to do like a GPS search for our spouse. I'm going to find this person and they are going to be awesome and we are going to be compatible and they're going to look like this and I'm going to be this and they're going to be that and we're going to be great. But God's like, hey, follow me. Wrestle with me, know me, pray to me and you'll stumble upon that person in my time and in the right way if I so choose. For those that want to be married and aren't, when you have desire and you combine that with lack, it equals suffering. At the, at the intersection of desire and lack are suffering. Some of you lost a job months ago and you've been praying that God would give you a job. You desire a job, you lack a job, in your soul, you're suffering. Some of you desire for your marriage to be healed. Some of y'all's marriages are falling apart and you're suffering. Some of you lost your job and for three months you've been crying out to God asking for a new job and he has not said yes yet. At the intersection of desire and lack, we find suffering. Choosing to be single does not eliminate suffering. Getting married does not eliminate suffering. Jesus promises to be with us in our suffering. Jesus promises to shape us in our suffering. And in our suffering, we have to turn to Jesus. There is a man in southern Missouri named Moses Carver. 
And before the Civil War happened and before slaves were freed, this man named Moses Carver owned slaves here in Missouri. A few of his slaves were stolen and taken to Kansas. So Moses Carver hired somebody to go across the state line, get his slaves, his property, and bring them back. When they went to rescue Moses Carver's slaves, they weren't able to recover the majority of them, but they were able to cover, recover one baby boy. When this baby boy got back to his master, the master, Moses Carver, decided, I'm going to use this baby boy. And the baby boy was kind of sickly and, and frail. He said, I'm going to use this baby boy to serve in my house and to serve amongst my family. So Moses Carver, a Missouri resident, decided to make this baby boy a eunuch, mutilated his body, making him more docile, more compliant. This baby boy grew up. For the majority of his first few years, he had no clothes, ran around naked, but as he was growing up, he started talking to plants. He started listening to plants, fell in love with nature and developing and learning about nature and plants. His name was George Washington Carver, an enslaved African eunuch from Diamond, Missouri, just a few hours from here, not too far from here. We actually have a national park with the, with the hats and the uniforms, national park rangers, Diamond, Missouri, in Missouri. He devoted his life to listening to God and developing plants. He's one of the leading scientists of his day in all of America in regards to agriculture, crop rotation, using nitrogen um, to restore fields, not overusing fields with tobacco, but planting other crops so that the fields and the soil could be healthy and useful. He studied the peanut and developed hundreds, literally hundreds of ways that are useful to us today for the peanut. Every time you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, say, God, thank you for black people. But if you go down to Diamond, Missouri, and you study about George Washington Carver, you discover that he had an intimate relationship with God. And we have things to learn from this man that was a eunuch. As you read the placards and walk the paths where he walked in his daily life, you see the house that he lived in, the slave quarters, you read that he walked those paths every day at 4 a.m., developing his prayer life, listening to God, going deeper with God. That's when God meets us. We know from history that we didn't need slavery for black folks to know Jesus, because even in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch, another eunuch, was already taking the gospel to the continent of Africa. 
But despite the evil that George Washington Carver experienced in the horrors of American slavery, he met God. Despite the injustice, he saw in himself the image of God. Listen to some of the things that he said. This first quote is is in a letter to one of his friends. And this is a lesson to us. Let this preach to your soul. He says, God cannot use you as he wishes until you come into the fullness of his glory. He's speaking to his friend. He says, don't get alarmed, my friend, when doubts creep in. That's just old Satan. He says, pray, pray, pray. Oh, my friend, I'm praying that God will come in and rid you entirely of self so that you can go out after souls or rather have souls seek the Christ in you. This is Diamond, Missouri, hour and a half from here, not that long ago. This is my prayer for you always. Listen to this second quote. He says, I ask God daily and often momently to give me wisdom, understanding, and bodily strength to do his will. Hence, I am asking and receiving all the time. That's an intimate relationship with God. That's, that is a person who has come close to God within God's quarters, within God's uh, presence. And he's listening to God and he's asking God, God, what is your will for my life? This is a eunuch preaching to us and teaching us. Last quote, no individual has any right to come into the world And to go out of it without leaving behind him distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. As you're thinking about your singleness, your life already has meaning in Christ, the one who saved you, the one that died for you, the one that resurrected, the one that is alive, the one that wants to love you right now. Your life already has purpose right now. I'm going to read that quote again. No individual has any right. This is a person whose body was mutilated. This is a person who was enslaved unjustly. He says, no person has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind him distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. That's your life. There's a reason why you're here beyond the seeming comfort of a relationship or marriage. That's a message to all of us that Jesus, our King, didn't call us to comfort. Jesus, our King, called us to his kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. And I pray that all of us would just feel a deeper calling into what you desire for our lives, not for a relationship status, not for the comfort of a relationship or the comfort of singleness, but for being the kind of Christians that listen to you moment by moment and day by day and year by year and let you define our lives. God, we need you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.